0: Christianity, but more than just the teaching and an understanding that remains sort of in our minds and, you know, just this kind of, it's in our heads, but it doesn't go anywhere. This is meant to be something that we live out, that we actually figure out how it uh, applies to our lives. And so that's what we've been doing for now uh, four previous weeks, and this is our fifth. And uh, today we're going to talk about the doctrine of salvation. Now, I thought I'd begin by telling you sort of my own story. So whenever people would say, tell me about when you became a Christian or when you became saved, this was the story that I would tell. I was living a debaucherous life at the age of eight. (laughs) I lived in Victoria, B.C., and we had this beautiful uh, property where it was on, on a cul-de-sac, which meant you know there's a sort of this dead end right behind us, and a huge sort of almost peninsula of property that had trees and, and land and just a wonderful place where I could play. And it was very quiet and sheltered and protected. I loved that. I spent every day outside playing in that space. It's wonderful. And then one day, my mom tells me that she has invited a group from the church to come into that space and to, um, well, run what was called a backyard Bible club. I was not very impressed. This was my space. This was my kingdom. And I did not want them there, much less anybody else. And so I used to do all kinds of, I'd build forts and I would dig tunnels and all these kinds of things. And so I had my fort set up ready to go. And when they arrived for this backyard Bible club, I threw rocks at them <laughs> to try to make them go away. And when I was in the process of ordination to become a reverend, uh, I told that story as part of my you know, conversion experience. And, uh, and one of the men on the examining council said, I don't think I've ever met someone who was in the process of stoning Christians before he became one. So I threw rocks at them, I was not happy that they were there, but eventually, you know, they just showed me love and kindness over the course of that week, and eventually I saw that there were snacks and I came out of my fort, and through that week, their love and kindness, the stories they were sharing, the things that they told me, drew me in to the point where I was so scared of going to hell that I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And I say it that way because that's about what it was, if I'm honest at that point. It wasn't nothing, but it was something. And I remember for many years to come, I would in fact look out from my bedroom window, which was over that property, and I would pray once again the sinner's prayer because I wasn't sure God had heard me the first time. And when I've told this story other times, I I would say the spiritual slant that I would put on it is I had looked at that wonderful backyard that I loved and I realized that that was my kingdom, but I had seen a better one. And I'd said, my kingdom, your kingdom come, Lord, my kingdom go. And I'd given up all of it to Jesus. But to be honest, I was eight years old. And there was a lot of things still to come in my life. And if I'm honest most of the things I needed to be forgiven for have come since then. And my understanding of what was going on was pretty small and thin. And I realized there were more and more parts of my life that needed to be yielded to Jesus as I went. And so over time, I've begun to see how, although that was a decisive moment in my story, it was only part of something much bigger. Not only a story that I was now part of, but that the world could be part of. And so you may have had a story similar to that where you can talk about the moment when you were saved. And that's something to celebrate and to recognize. But it might have been for you, again, like this picture, a um, get out of hell free card where if we're honest, you are more concerned about what happens when you die than about what tomorrow will look like and how Jesus will change how you live today. And so what I want us to do today is get a clearer understanding of what salvation is, what we're saved from, how we're saved, and what we're saved to. Because if we don't have a clear understanding of those things, then, well, it'll be reduced to something like this that's kind of a game where we're really just living however we want now but have a get-out-of-hell-free card for when we die. Now, I'm speaking somewhat crassly about that, but I know that it is a common perception in our world today that we can simply accept Jesus as as our Lord and Savior, and that will affect the end of our life, but it doesn't really seem to affect now. And I want to make sure that we, we don't live that way, that we don't think that way. So let me, as we begin to talk about salvation, take you back where we were a couple of weeks ago, the last time that I preached before uh, my time off, which was creation. Let's show that picture now. I drew these pictures a number of years ago when I was uh, communicating and telling Bible stories to newcomers to Canada. And so I tried to tell the story with pictures. And as I did that... Uh, You know, these are just simple kind of cartoon sketches, stick men and so on. But as I did that, I began to realize that visual explanations often help everybody, whether you speak the language or not. So I thought, let's show these today. When the world was created, God, which is represented here by this triangle with the heart inside, how do you draw God, I always say? So this is a reminder that God is triune, which we talked about the first week, but also that God is love. That's the center of his character. When God created the earth with all the animals and all the land and sea and sky and everything that there is, he created it in love. He didn't have to, but he did. He loved it. He created humanity as his own image to reflect his own character within that world. And he gave human beings a calling to care for and steward and serve the earth that he created as well. He allowed human beings to be in a direct relationship with him, one that was life-giving, one that was flourishing. In fact, his command to them to be like him was to be fruitful and multiply within the earth. So everything about their experience, everything about our experience as human beings was meant to be flourishing and abundant and overflowing with good things. That as we served the earth and cared for things within creation that God had made as good that it would come to an even greater and greater sense of health and life and flourishing and abundance. But what happened, as Pastor Dana spoke last week, exploring the doctrine of sin, was how human beings rebelled against God's commands and did their own thing and did try to take on God's position and place. And the result of that was sin. So that's our next slide here. And we see that God still loves the earth, God still loves people, but there is a barrier. We are unable to receive that fully or to experience it fully because of sin, because of our wrongdoing, the things we have done. And so sin is the wrong behavior, the wrong thoughts, all of those things that are acts of rebellion against God. But also, sin is a situation we find ourselves in now, because sin has brought brokenness and destruction to the world that God created And as we read the story, we hear that there is a curse put upon the ground, and against its will, it says in Romans, against its will, all of creation was subjected to that curse. And so there's many different images of what sin is and how it affects us. It's an act of rebellion, but it's also a power that works against us. It puts us in slavery and bondage, and when we want to act in a certain way, it still forces us to go in another, apart from God, separating us. There is an alienation. There is something missing, something broken, something that is burdensome to us. And there's many different images that Scripture uses to explain the problem of sin, the brokenness, the oppression, the slavery that we experience to it, and ultimately ultimately, the death that it leads us to. And we experience that death in all kinds of ways in our world now. God looked at the world. God looked at us. He saw all that he created and the ripple effect of humanity's rebellion against him and the suffering that it brought upon all of us. He looked at all of that with sadness. This is not what he'd intended. So sin is a situation we find ourselves in, but it is also the behaviors and actions that we choose. And sin is the problem, the great problem of humanity, but the world and all of creation. So what is Salvation. Let's go to our next slide here. Uh, I found this helpful definition from the Pocket Dictionary of Theological Terms. Uh, One of my uh, systematic theology professors, Stan Grenz, was involved in writing this, so I appreciate how how clearly he was able to articulate complex ideas. Salvation. God's deliverance of humans from the power and effects of sin and the fall through the work of Jesus Christ so that creation in general and humans in particular can enjoy the fullness of life intended for what God has made so let me just break that down very simply first of all we see what we are saved from from the power and effects of sin and the fall how we are saved well we are saved by or through the work of Jesus Christ and what are we saved to or for we are saved so that we can enjoy the fullness of life intended for what God has made. Now, in there you're not hearing you're not hearing hell, which was the dominant message that I heard salvation was all about as a young person. And it's not that it's not. But that's simply a reflection of the effects and power of sin. The end goal isn't to simply get us out of hell, God's intention for us with salvation is to get us into life that's abundant that begins now and goes on forever. And when the Bible talks about eternal life, it's not talking chronologically. It's not talking about like 1 million plus years, so much as it's saying it's a life that can't be destroyed. That's what that that's the quality of the life is that it's unbreakable. It's 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 full and complete, and it can't be destroyed. That's the kind of life that we're invited into through Jesus. So when we look, at the, we look at the creation that has been damaged by and subject to the oppressive power of sin, a sin that we have all borne some ownership of in one way or another, and before you say, well, I, I've never sinned, how dare you call me a sinner, just say, well, do you understand how other people have sinned against you? Have you ever experienced that other people have sinned against you? Well, yes. Yes, I have. Then let's just assume that everybody has done that in some way. We all, the Bible says, all of us are sinners. We've all been a part of that situation of brokenness in the world. We've all contributed to it, and we've all suffered because of it. So what does God do? Well, even in the very beginning moments when uh, God is announcing to human beings the results of their rebellion, God still shows them kindness and care, even then, revealing that he will take care of this problem that is greater than they could comprehend. Because this problem of rebellion has rippled out and affected all that he created, it's bigger than human beings can clean up on their own. We've got ourselves into a mess that we can't solve, so God has to take action. And in Genesis chapter 3, as it begins to unfold, we see there he promises that there will be one who comes to crush the head of the serpent, the one who misled them and led them away from God's intention in the story. Then we also see that even though human beings are uh, removed from Eden and forced to leave the place of God's blessing, that God nonetheless cares for them and provides for them. We see that in how he, they recognize their nakedness and their shame, and he provides for them clothing and care. Let's, let's go to this next slide, which begins to walk through some of the Old Testament history of salvation and the story, which is revealing God's heart of kindness and love. We saw that with Adam and Eve, but we also saw in Noah. It's only a couple of chapters later where God looks at all of the world, and he looks at all of humanity, and he says, Oh my goodness, everything that they want to do is evil. Everything they imagine and think is just evil. And yet God shows mercy and kindness to Noah, who's faithful to him. And there's the story of the great flood and Noah's family that is saved. And God says to them at the end of that, he renews that same call upon them. And he says, go be fruitful and multiply. The same thing that they were always intended to do as human beings. Well, then we see the story of Abraham just a few short chapters later, where Abraham is a person who has faith in God, despite the world around him not living in that way. And God looks at him and says, because of your faith in me, I'm going to do something in you. I'm going to give you a land that's wonderful, a place you can call your own. And I'm going to bless your family so that your family can be a blessing to every other family in the world. God is telling him that he is going to bring about the restoration of everything through this family. The story is beginning to come about into action. And then, years later, Abraham's descendants, we see Israel, the people of Israel, are locked in slavery in Egypt after many courses of events. And what does God say to them as he releases them and saves them from that slavery? he says, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, a land that is life-giving and abundant. And I'm going to take you to that and give you that kind of life as a picture of what it was always meant to be for the whole world. And through you as a people, you are going to announce my saving work for all. It wasn't that he just picked them out to be special and it was going to leave it at that with his favorites. No, his intention was always to bless them so that they could, like he said to Abraham, be a blessing to all. We see this heart and concern for the whole world represented in various stories, such as the story of Rahab, who was a foreigner, and she was welcomed into the nation and people of Israel because she had faith in God, and she trusted what God was doing in that story. We saw it also with Ruth and Naomi, and many others throughout the, the courses of the Old Testament stories. We see it on a national scale, how God showed uh, mercy and grace to the city of Nineveh, and the story of Jonah, how God uh, used Jonah to declare uh, that there would be judgment if they didn't turn from their sin, and as they did so, God was merciful. It happened with Babylon, with Persia. We see throughout the Old Testament that God is working a story of salvation to bring people back to an awareness of who he is, of their own sin, our own incapacity to deal with the problem, but then also his restorative work to bring about an end to that power of sin in our lives. But it comes to an ultimate point of clarity in the person of Jesus. And let's turn to that now. We see that heart of God displayed in that verse, John 3.16. I'm sure you've heard this before, or you've at least seen the reference on a sign at a sporting event. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so up till now, we've been seeing a story of the family of Adam, which is a family of destruction and sin, where all of us are suffering under the situation of sin within the world, but also contributing to that problem with our own sinful thoughts and actions. And we've been a part of that family of Adam, that legacy. But now what we are given is an opportunity to be part of a new family. To have a new birth, a new understanding, a new start into the family of Jesus. To be a new kind of human being that isn't burdened by the power of sin, but that's free, that's released. Colossians 1, 13-14 says this, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, which is the family of Adam, and the power of sin. He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. He's purchased our freedom from the situation of sin in the world. And he's forgiven us for our sin that we own personally and individually as well. This is a major work. And I want us to see clearly that it isn't simply at an individual level, but that it is something that encompasses the entirety of creation and the world for everybody. Let's go a little bit further just to simply clarify on the next slide um, from Colossians 1, 19 and 22, how this is God at work here. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So what we are seeing here is a clear picture that all of that problem of brokenness throughout creation is being solved in Jesus. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, now he has reconciled you to himself, through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So I want to ask you now, just as we pause on that on that verse of Scripture, to say, where are you? In the beginning chapters of the Genesis story, when humans first rebel it says that God comes into the garden and says this question. Where are you? For the first time, there was a separation between him and people. And let's be clear. You can't hide from God. The question isn't for his sake. It's for theirs. And I ask you that same question now that God asked them in the beginning. Where are you? Are you far from God? Are you separated from God by your thoughts and actions? Are you living under the burden of sin? Or are you living within the kingdom of the Son? Who brings you close, draws you in, and makes you new? Where are you? Let's look at the next slide. And I want to look at the work of Jesus, because the the definition that we began with said that this is all changed and brought about by change through the work of Jesus. Now, it would be common for us in Western society to understand the work of Jesus as being his death and resurrection. And that's certainly true. Those are central to, to who he is and what he did. But I think what will be more helpful for us is to recognize that everything Jesus did is part of his saving work. And we see him dealing with different aspects of the human situation throughout creation in the entirety of his story. First, in his life, which we celebrate at Christmas, his birth, his coming. What is it that we celebrate at Christmas? We celebrate that God is with us. That separation that human beings have felt from God is now changed. He has drawn near And so his very coming represents God's presence for us. But as he comes and lives, he also teaches us God's way. I've often said that a simple definition for the kingdom of God, which Jesus preached about continually, was that the kingdom of God is where God is present and life is lived God's way. Jesus comes to show us the kingdom way, which is that God is present And he shows us what it looks like when a life is lived God's way, in perfect submission to the ways and purposes of God. So as we look at the life of Jesus, we are seeing what it means for us to live as well. When we look at the work of Jesus in his death, we are seeing throughout Scripture, we're told that he is dealing with sin. He's making an atonement for, he's making a sacrifice for, he is breaking the power of sin in his death. We see that in his resurrection, he is showing that death is defeated. The penalty of sin is being defeated by the power that is displayed there. But then we also see how he sends the Spirit, which he promised to his followers. He sends the Spirit at Pentecost. And the Spirit, as it comes, releases the witness and story of who Jesus is. And it helps us in telling that story, but also empowers us to live the way that Jesus lived because it's the same spirit that was in him. It's the very life that Jesus drew upon. And so Pentecost, we see that the work of Jesus gives us life and gives us witness by the spirit. And then in the future, what we see is that Jesus will return. That is his, his final work, which is the renewal of all things, which we talked about in the book of Revelation. Revelation, where he will reign with justice. We now are still in the midst of the situation of a broken world. But it will ultimately come to pass that Jesus will make all things new and will reign in perfect justice so that the world in its entirety will be the way that he intended with a fullness of life. When we look at this, when we see the entirety of Jesus' work, some of which has happened, some, of which, some which will, we see... A fullness of what salvation really is. We see, as we might say, that if we have trusted him, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Or to use uh, more fancy theological terms, we have been justified, our sin has been dealt with in the past, we are being sanctified, which is we are being made more and more like him. We are being made holy, and we, are being, we will be glorified, which was we will ultimately re- deal with and resolve the sin issues in the world and within our lives. We have been saved. We are being saved, and we will be saved. This is a work that is ongoing and one that we are meant to be part of. Now, The other week uh, I was having a conversation with some people here on Thursday, uh, during a coffee time, and I was giving the analogy that if you were in the midst of a storm and you had fallen into the ocean, what would salvation look like for you? Well, it would li- look like being brought into the boat. And you could say, "I have been saved. How foolish would it be if you jumped out the other side? Well, I, I've been taken care of. I've been saved. I'm good. Well, that's not the point. The, the, the salvation means you are now in a new way. You're in a new situation. And it's not enough just to have been saved, it's you want to be saved and will be saved in the future. You want to experience the fullness of that. Jumping out the other side would be the antithesis of being saved. And so what we want to understand is that salvation wasn't simply an act done in one moment that, you know, means that we get out of hell free, but it's, it means that we're invited into a new thing. A place that is life giving, the boat. So let's let's look at this now on the next slide. How do we we receive this? How are we saved? And in Acts chapter 2, which is the story of Pentecost that I referred to, the Spirit is unleashed and people are testifying about the, the life of Jesus and the power of the Spirit is upon them and people are responding to this. And the people say, How are we to be saved? And Peter, who's giving the message that day, replies, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we are being, that's how we are saved from sin, but also begins to show us what we are saved to, as we are saved by Jesus. Acts 4.12, similarly, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. If you pursue just being a good person, it won't be enough. Because there's a lot of other bad people in the world. And if you have a sense of justice in the world, you will see that there are broken systems throughout. That the world is bent towards evil and chaos. It's not simply enough for you to try to be a better person. The problem of our human experience, the problem of creation in the world, is one that is greater than any of us can overcome in our own power and strength. We must rely on the one name that can save, which is Jesus. And so I ask you now, where are you? Where are you? Are you living within the life of Jesus? Jesus. Or are you living within the world and under the power of sin? Have you been rescued and have you stayed in the boat? Where are you? Let's go ahead to the next. This is a beautiful picture of what we are being saved into, or what we are being saved for in Titus chapter three verses four through seven, and it shows us so much about what salvation is like. When God, our Savior, revealed His kindness and love, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done. In other words, it's not like we did something to earn being saved. It's not like we were so good that He wanted to save us. No, He was just kind. He was gracious to us. Because of His love, He rescued us. And it says, He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth this is what we're saved for or to. A new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, grace is a gift that we couldn't earn or that we don't deserve. It's just a gift. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life oh there's so many things here that are just so beautiful and you know i i had a really hard time preparing for today because salvation is such a beautiful wonderful thing and the story of salvation can be told in so many different ways that it's a bit like trying to explain a beautiful song or a beautiful picture with words you can only go so far it's a story that we're meant to be invited into, a song that we're meant to hear and understand its beauty. And Yes, we can try to explain it, and yes, that's what I'm trying to do today, but there's a wonder to it that is relational and life-giving, that is dynamic and meant to be experienced in all kinds of ways throughout the world. But what great kindness and love that he would save us. His mercy, he washed away All of that garbage and stain that we feel upon our heart, our soul, our mind from the past, of what someone else did to us, he washes away. Now that is where we see the the difference, as I said, of being saved, but also in the process of being saved, and then eventually we will be saved. Some of that has already happened, some of it's in the process, and some of it is still to come. But we trust him for that cleansing and saving. He gives us a new birth and a new life. Do you want that new start? It's a start that only Jesus can give to you. And he gives it to us by his Holy Spirit, his power within us. So we don't live by the power of sin, we live by the power of the Spirit, which leads instead of to death, to life. Because of his grace, we're made right in the sight. We have a confidence. We don't have to look out our window, praying over and over again, wondering if he hurt us or not. We know that he hears, that he responds, that he delights in giving to us generously his forgiveness, his grace, his love. Let me remind you of the words of Jesus in John 10.10. I have come that they, that you, may have life and have it to the full. Do you have that kind of life experience? Are you saved? Are you being saved? Do you have the hope and certainty of salvation in the future to come? Are you still unsure? Have you resisted? Felt that perhaps you're not worthy of, that you don't deserve, or that you don't understand? Well, before you even knew it, Jesus acted. He came pursuing you. It wasn't because you did something worthy or great. It was because he is good and merciful. Have you received it? Where are you? And I want to show you now, just as we close, those same stories from Jesus' life, but now applied to ours on this final slide. As we talk about enjoying the fullness of life, we can learn from each of the aspects of Jesus' work for how we should live in order to experience that. The first is that our life, like the life of Jesus, must follow the kingdom way of Jesus. Yes, we experience the closeness and presence of God through him, because of him. But we live in his way. We do the life of the kingdom. We also look at the death of Jesus and see how we too need to die to our old way of life, to our sin. And we see that because of Jesus' death, our sin is dealt with. And brought to a finality that we no longer have to suffer under its power. And so we look at Jesus' death and we see that our death must come as well, but we also look at his resurrection and see that we must be raised to new life. And there's an incredible symbol that we participate in within the Christian church, which is baptism, which is a symbol of dying and then being raised to new life. Have you been baptized? Have you shown that you trust in the work of Jesus for all that you are? Then we look at Pentecost and we see how God gives us the spirit to grow in our lives. So we begin to have a character like his through the power of the spirit. We call that the fruit of the spirit. But we also have the gifts of the Spirit, which is the Spirit enables us to do all kinds of new things and to begin to work and act in the way that Jesus did. And that's for the purpose of sharing the, the witness of Jesus, to tell the story of Jesus to others. Because if this is good news for us, that sin has been overcome in our lives, it should be good news for the people around us as well, and we should want to share that. And it brings us together into God's family. We are adopted into his family, no longer the family of Adam that is burdened by sin, but now the family of Jesus that is full of life and abundant. We are brought together, no longer isolated in brokenness, but rather bound together in community. We see that in the story of Pentecost, what Jesus does for us, that is his work in sending the Spirit. And then we anticipate the day of Jesus' ultimate return when all things will be made new and all things made right by working towards that now. By seeing to it that to whatever extent we are able to, by the Spirit of God, we start to look like the kingdom come now, here on earth, as it is in heaven. And we begin to serve the renewal of all things by working to bring about justice in the world, by working to care for other people, to share the good news, to live in a new kind of way, to upset the broken, corrupt structures of our world so that all things begin to look like the kingdom as God intended. This is what it means to begin to enjoy the fullness of life. Have you been saved? Are you being saved? And what do you have to look forward to that God will save us from? As you see this list of the fullness of Jesus' life, what does what do you still need to participate in in his story? In what ways have you maybe held back or not stepped forward? What have you not stepped forward in faith with? Have you been baptized? Have you made a decision that, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus? Have you made a decision to begin living and pursuing a new kind of life? To learn his ways through study and reading scripture? Have you begun to commit yourself to the things that will grow you as a human being in the likeness of Jesus? Are you living together in community with God's family? Have you trusted that your sin is dealt with? Are you working to serve the world for the sake of the kingdom as a witness to it? All of this is part of what it means to be saved, to be part of his salvation. And it's a wonderful thing for us to know, to enjoy, and to experience. So as you look at this list, as you hear the story that I've been trying to convey about the person of Jesus and how that makes a difference for us, I ask you the question again, where are you? Are you wandering far from God? Are you drawing near? Have you found yourself in his family but still need further steps of faith to lead you closer to his heart? And I want to assure you that there's nothing you can do apart from believing in Him to make any lick a difference, but that when you do trust in Him with everything, it's worth it. And as a young eight-year-old boy, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I'm so glad that I did. And I've come to such a greater understanding of the fullness of God's salvation for my life, for the world, that I'm glad to be part of that story and given my life to trying to share it. So that's me. That's where I am. But where are you? And if you need help taking a step today, let me know. I'd love to talk to you about that. But hear the voice of God saying to you in this moment today, where are you? I'm looking for you. I love you. I've come searching for you. And I want you to have life that's abundant. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you pursued us to bring us to life, that you loved us so fully and completely that you were willing to give yourself even to death on the cross. May we trust in you today. May we live for you today and every day. May we share your story with those around us because it's so important. And God, may the fullness of life that you intended for us be brought to fruition here amongst us, even now. And may your kingdom come. In the name of Jesus, we pray.